Let me just pray for us as we come to God's word. Father, Son and Spirit, we ask that you would engage our hearts and minds as we listen to your word. Give us understanding that we'll get past our heads, that will make its way into our hearts and that will make a difference to our lives during the week. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, we'll see how we go with the PowerPoints this morning. I loaded them in at an early hour this morning and then uh, got to church this morning and found there are a number of glitches and um, a few missing things, including the very first picture, which I was going to put up, so I'll just have to describe it to you instead. Uh, I don't like goodbyes much. I don't know about you. But at the beginning of 2019, our son left for Mount Gambia. Um, He went down there to study at the James Morrison Academy. He just finished high school, was accepted into the James Morrison Academy. And uh, late February, we drove down there with a carload of his goods, settled him into a unit there, and then a couple days later, drove away. That was hard. May that same year, our daughter decided to move across to the Air Peninsula, the other direction. And I helped um, load up her furniture at this end, but Raquel had the privilege of driving her across with a trailer load of um, furniture. And on Mother's Day, which we commemorated this last Sunday, uh, four years ago, Raquel had to drive out of Tumby Bay without our daughter. And that was a hard day. Well, the disciples didn't like goodbyes much either. They were about to say farewell to Jesus. That is, the bodily present Jesus that had been with them for three years. In John chapter 16, and I'm not sure if this one will come up. Do we have this one? No, no. No, that one's coming. Okay. It says, but now I am going to him who sent me. These are Jesus' words. None of you asks me, where are you going? Rather, you are filled with grief because I have said these things. But very truly, I tell you, It is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. The disciples must have found it hard to believe that anything could be better than the last three years of being with Jesus. They had lived alongside him, witnessing things that they would never have imagined possible They witnessed miracles, they witnessed healings, they witnessed demonstrations of power and authority and love that couldn't be matched, that they had never seen in their lifetime. How could anything be better than that? But Jesus says it is for their good that he is going away. Goodbyes, as painful as they can be, 
mark something else other than just the loss of something. They also mark the end of something, the completion of time. And it might be the completion of a relationship. It might be the completion of a time in a job. It might be uh, the completion of living in a certain place or location. But they also mark a beginning where something is lost, something new begins, even if only a new period of time. But isn't it good that God doesn't waste anything, not even goodbyes? Even the loss of his own physical presence with his disciples brings a beginning that at this point in time the disciples haven't even comprehended. This farewell, this mark of completion, this beginning is marked by what we call Ascension Day, the day that Jesus ascended back into heaven. We don't often talk much about Jesus' ascension to heaven and maybe because it doesn't often fall on a Sunday, it actually doesn't even fall on a Wednesday as it turns out, it falls on tomorrow. But I've taken the opportunity to kind of grab the opportunity, seize the opportunity to talk about Ascension Day because we don't often uh, have time in our church schedules to do that. The Ascension of Jesus was important enough for Luke to finish his first book, the book of Luke, with it, and then he begins his next book the account of the Acts of the Apostles, he begins there with Jesus' ascension again. You might also remember that the ascension is mentioned in our creed. Now, I think I do have this one on the PowerPoint. When we say, he ascended into heaven, he is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come again to judge the living and the dead. So it must be important because... The early church fathers knew that it was something that we had to remember. And of course, Jesus himself gives us the clues about his ascension. It is the completion of something and the start of something else. In John chapter 17, he says, I have brought you Glory, this is Jesus talking to the Father. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Jesus' work on earth is completed and now the beginning of his, I guess you'd say, re-glorification commences. You know, there are many facets and themes to explore in relation to Jesus' ascension, but I want to draw our attention to just two today and then give you two implications that you can take away. We'll have plenty of time to explore the rest of what the ascension means when we get to heaven. So So the first reason the ascension is significant is that Jesus' ascension marks the exaltation of the God-man Jesus the combination or the perfect unity of both man with God. Before Jesus came to earth in the form of a little baby, Scripture tells us that he was with the Father 
and the Spirit since eternity. And in that scripture we referenced earlier, Jesus says he had glory with the Father before the world began. We know too that it, as it says in Philippians chapter 2, that Jesus laid aside his glory to become a servant, to die a death on the cross. And now, having taken on our human flesh, when he ascended back to the Father, he ascended with a human body that is in perfect union with his deity or his godness, I guess you'd say. In Philippians 2, it also tells us that because Jesus took our flesh and bore our sin and died in our place, the Father has put Jesus in a certain place when he returned to heaven. And these words should be very familiar because we just sang some of them in our first hymn. There it is. You'll have to use your imagination. It's from Philippians chapter 2, verse 9, and it says, Therefore God exalted him in the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Words that we should know very well. So Jesus' ascension marked the completion of his incredible work on earth, now to be exalted at the Father's right hand. But in particular, note the detail that Paul gives us in Ephesians, that God would seat Jesus at his right hand. He would be seated next to him. Jesus' work of redeeming was completed, and so he sat at the Father's right hand. The work was done. Now, Ephesians tells us something stunning about the implication for us. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' exaltation to the Father, Father's right hand, he can now take all of redeemed humanity with him. As the God-man, he now takes us who are in Christ with him before the throne. He took our humanity with him when he died for our sin on the cross. He took it with him when the Father raised him to life. Now he takes our humanity to the very side of the Father. That is extraordinary. That alone deserves time in your week to sit and digest and meditate on and praise God for. You and I are seated with Christ in the heavenly places. As incredible as that seems, they are Jesus' very own words. And that is exactly the sort of unity he prays to the Father that we will have with him and that we will experience in its fullness when we get to heaven. In our John passage today, Jesus makes the link that after he has ascended to his Father's side, he will send the Spirit who will bring a deeper understanding of this unity. 
You have to use your imagination again. So from John, it said, On that day you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. That unity extends to the guarantee that God gives us now and in its fullness in the future, a promise, but also a statement of fact that we heard in the previous verse, that because I live, because Jesus lives, you also will live, we will live. Now, we haven't really even touched on the truths opened up in the book of Hebrews about Jesus' ascension and ascending to be our great and perfect high priest. But it's implied in the work of Christ on our behalf in some of the things that we've talked about so far. But I want to turn to a second thing that makes Jesus' ascension so significant. And that is that he promised that when he would ascend, he would send, he would send the Spirit. And the Spirit would change the scene, if you want to use a turn of phrase, for all of us. Remember how distraught the disciples were that Jesus would, have, would leave them? But at that point, they hadn't yet experienced what we will celebrate in a couple of weeks' time, the blessing of Pentecost. The paradigm-shifting change that would come with the giving of the Holy Spirit. I didn't want to preempt too much what's coming in a couple of weeks' time when we talk more at length about Pentecost, but Jesus certainly points to the fact that his departure was necessary for this to happen. His physical departure was necessary so that every believer could experience his presence in their very person. Not something that was possible when Jesus was on earth physically in one place at one time, but it is possible now by the presence and the indwelling of the Spirit in those who believe. Now, again, as our John, our passage from John points out, the same Spirit who is in intimate union with Jesus himself and the Father will live in you and he will live in me. You know, there's a sense in which our unity with Christ, our being caught up with him, with him to his Father's side, is made real to us by the presence of the Holy Spirit in us. That is a blessing and level of understanding that the disciples wouldn't have thought possible until the Spirit came, and they couldn't have comprehended it. So the disciples would not be left as orphans. They would, in fact, discover a level of belonging and adoption into a heavenly family that only the Spirit could communicate to them. In fact, in Romans, Paul tells us it would be the Spirit that would connect each believer to the Father so that they know him intimately as their Abba Father. Wouldn't that communicate to you the closeness of being in Christ, in the heavenly places, next to the Father like nothing else? It would be the work of the Spirit to communicate to our spirits the love and the security of the Father for us. 
Now that would mean that the spirit would be Christ in us, the hope of glory. The guarantee and the assurance of intimacy now with God and later in its fullest glory in heaven. So to conclude, I want to leave you with two particular things to take away from our meditation on Jesus' ascension. The first is that Jesus' exaltation is a physical guarantee that we will one day be glorified and made like him. If we are in Christ, a phrase that you hear a lot in the New Testament, if we are in Christ by faith, then we will one day share the very fullness of being in our glorified bodies before the throne. Jesus took a physical body to heaven and promised that he was going ahead to prepare for us a place. And we heard that scripture, I think it was even last week or the week before when we looked at the earlier passage in John. Jesus promises good. He's good for his promises. We will meet him there in person with real bodies one day. Real glorified bodies. The second thing to take away with you is how knowing you are seated with Christ in the heavenly places might affect the way you pray. Firstly, just simply in thanksgiving that Jesus has taken us into his death and into his resurrection and now into his exaltation so that we can pray from a place of true security and true intimacy with the Father. That in itself is remarkable. But it also means that we have a very real share in the authority of Christ to pray and see things changed. As it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. And on the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. And we're better able to grasp that when we know we are seated at God's right hand in Jesus. And it's from that place that we can pray and see things done and changed. And you know, we should be eager to use whatever God puts at our disposal to see situations changed and lives turned towards him. Hebrews says that while you are praying for those things, Jesus is there at the Father's right hand praying and interceding for you and for me. So let's be good stewards of the blessing and position in Christ that we have been given for the glory of God and the extension of his kingdom. Amen.